Ion 2020, episode 73. Have 2020 vision with Ion 2020, the podcast that brings you all the news and events in the lead up to the next presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date as we approach November 2020 with a libertarian perspective of all the candidates and their policies, along with the news. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's clear our vision. What's up, everybody? It's Ray Eaton, your host of Ion 2020, the place that you come daily, Monday through Friday, for all that. Great information with regards to the candidates and their positions for the 2020 election, as well as, you know, just in general stuff that's going on in the news and so forth. Uh, I appreciate you coming out and listening. It is day number three on the cruise ship, and I am just loving it, but I figured I'd take some time out of my day uh, from partying, drinking, and having a good time to come and uh, share some information with you guys with regards to this 2020 election. I'm just joking. I don't have any internet connection, I don't think. Uh, I wasn't sure if I was going to have internet connection, so I recorded a s- several shows before I left for the cruise so that I can make sure that I get you guys that Monday through Friday thing going. I've heard a lot of podcasters that do that. What they'll do is they'll, if they're going on vacation for a week or going away for a couple of days, they'll just record a bunch of shows and have them on hand just in case. So that's what I'm doing. Uh, just making sure. So I'm not going to be talking about any of the news that's going on this week, particularly. And the reason why is just because uh, I will be out of out of action. And uh, I've heard that cruise ships typically have uh, bad internet connections. You got to pay extra for it and so forth. And uh, to be honest with you, I kind of enjoy the idea of getting away from the internet for a while. Uh, my kids will have to unplug for a little bit as well. Not having an internet connection, I'll let them, you know, they'll be able to play regular video games. They won't be able to get online and play Roblox and all the stupid games that they play that are online. Um, and I won't have to hear from anybody at work. And that's a great thing for me. So uh, that's probably why I'm not even going to buy the internet if that is the case. Uh, if they or I'm, I'm, they actually do have a two ways to do internet, it seemed like to me. And what I, the first one was a uh, one that's like just for Facebook and and Twitter and all that, and then there's one that's for like high-speed internet, and I might do one of them, I'm not sure, uh, depends upon how much my wife really wants internet as well, but I, I guarantee most of our time will be spent on that pool deck, hanging out, drinking some cocktails, eating some food, seeing some shows, and uh, going on some of these excursions and stuff, and uh, it, this, it is not the Contra Cruise by any means, any of y'all that listen to uh, Tom Woods show, you'll and uh, the Contra Krugan show, you'll know about the Contra Cruise, but it's nothing like that. It is just uh, me and my family going out and having some fun in the Caribbean. So uh, enjoy the next five days though of episodes. I'm gonna I I have them all lined up for you, ready to go. And uh, I figured out on my podcast or my podcasting app that I do the recording through. I figured out how to uh, go ahead and schedule the schedule the podcast to download at a specific time each day which is great because it helps me out a lot uh, when, it, when it comes to this situation. I, remember, I don't know if I remember a couple of weeks back when I was talking about it, of, about going on this cruise, I was thinking that I just have to release, you know, four or five or five episodes on a Saturday or on a Friday right before I leave. So 
here I am, and I appreciate you guys listening. So hey, if you like what you've heard, go ahead and subscribe to the show, and you'll get this uh, show in your podcatcher tomorrow as well. And uh, we're on episode 73, so if you haven't gone ahead and given me a five-star rating yet on whatever podcatcher uh, you are listening through, whatever podcasting app you're listening through, go ahead and give me a five-star rating and review. I'm not sure if all of the different podcatching apps have a way to review, and I'm not even sure if they all have a way to do a five-star rating, but give me the highest rating that you can. That's what I appreciate if you do that as well. Um, but yeah, the most important thing is to subscribe. I've noticed the subscriber base going up every single day, and I really, you know, I think this message is getting out there that um, that maybe there is an alternative voice to the mainstream Republicans and Democrats when it comes to looking at the elections and, you know, critiquing these election cycles and so forth. And that's what I'm trying to do every single day, Monday through Friday for you, is just give you guys the best critique I can of the 2020 election cycle. So come on back tomorrow and listen. You can do that by subscribing. Um, You know, since I'm on this cruise ship and all, I couldn't really get you guys the specific news since I recorded these beforehand. But I did want to do, I've been talking about this for a while, is doing an episode on Andrew Yang and then doing a separate episode on his favorite thing that he's talking about, which is a universal basic income. And uh, been doing a little bit of research on Andrew Yang. I've also been doing research on the universal basic income and some of the goods and some of the bad things of that, the good things and the bad things of a universal basic income, um, and from taking it from a libertarian stance, whether it is good or bad, there are some libertarians that are for a universal basic income, and then those that are uh, opposed to it. And I'm going to give you guys the reasons for both, uh, and also my my personal opinion on those things. Is obviously this is my show. I could be as opinionated as I want, you know. So anyway, but go ahead and. Uh, Go, let's go ahead and jump into Andrew Yang specifically because that's what I wanted to talk about. And then I think tomorrow's show will be on the universal basic income. Uh, but I'll delve into a few of his uh, policy proposals. He seems like he's a guy that has a couple of ideas that are outside of the box. But uh, being a Democrat, he's mostly you know, inside that Democratic box. And I think the main thing that he's outside the box on is that universal basic income. Uh, but let's jump into who he is really because that's... Uh, that's what you need to find out first. He is an Asian American. I noticed that. Um, he's also a tech entrepreneur. And if you hop onto Wikipedia, you'll be able to find a little bit about him. He was born in 1975, so he's only um, he's basically Generation X. I think that's right at the end of Generation X. Um, and that's 1975. So going into 2020, he will be 45 years old. Uh, as an on- American entrepreneur and founder of Venture for America. I wonder if that's kind of like Teaching for America, Venture for America. I'm going to look it up and see what exactly that is. It's an American nonprofit organization and fellowship headquartered in New York City. Its mission is to revitalize American cities and communities through entrepreneurship by training recent graduates and young professionals to work for startups in emerging, city, emerging cities throughout the United States. Yeah, so kind of like Teaching for Teach for America, uh, Venture for America, and I guess that's the idea is venture capital. Um, and it was first started in 2012. Venture for America placed 40 fellows in five cities 
uh, Cincinnati, Detroit, Las Vegas, New Orleans, and Providence. In the following year, 2013, the cities of Baltimore and Cleveland and Philadelphia were added, and nearly 70 fellows were placed. In its third year, over 100 fellows were placed. So I don't think he's a tech entrepreneur per se then. I think if he started Venture for America, but there might be more to his story than just that previous to joining Venture for America. But he is the person that founded uh, Venture for America, and, and that was in New York City. So let's see. So... Um, he worked for startups and early-stage growth companies as a founder and executive from 2000 to 2009. After he founded VFA, the Obama administration selected him in 2012 as a champion of change and in 2015 as a presidential ambassador for global entrepreneurship. So he's kind of been quasi in the public, public sphere for a while. So he graduated from uh, Columbia University in his career and he went to the law school at Columbia University and graduated in 1999. Um, and then he started a business called stargiving.com, which is basically a website that was for celebrities so they can uh, use it for fundraising. So Stargiving raised some capital from investors, but it folded in 2001. Afterwards, Yang joined a healthcare software startup, MF, MMF Systems, Inc., as its vice president and third hire. Manhattan Prep. After looking, after working in the healthcare industry for four years, Yang left MF, MMF Systems to join friend Zeke Volderuk at a small test prep, preparation company, Manhattan Prep. In 2006, uh, they take he, or Yang took over as CEO. While he was CEO of Manhattan Prep, the company primarily provided GMAT test preparation. The company expanded from five to 69 locations and was acquired by Kaplan in December 2009. Yang resigned as the company's president in early 2012. Wow, that's pretty impressive because I've, I've actually heard of Kaplan before. And uh, that's like a place where you go to get, if you want to take, do some uh, test prepping. So uh, that's interesting. And he took it from five to 69 locations. So that's pretty cool. Um, so he's obviously, yeah, slightly a tech entrepreneur. He had a little f- failure back back when with Stargiving. But uh, coming into a few other in this medical healthcare software startup, and then also uh, the test prepping thing, and then that's when in 2012 is when they started up the uh, VFA, the Venture for America, and uh, Venture for America was launched with $200,000 and trained 40 graduates in 2012. I kind of kind of alluded to that earlier as well uh, when I was reading about specifically Venture for America. So that's Andrew Yang in a nutshell from the beginning, and then when he hopped. When he hopped into political life, that was under Barack Obama, um, and that's about the most of a, the most political affiliation that he's had. So he seemed he must be a pretty wealthy guy after selling Kaplan the, or selling out to Kaplan, and he must have a little bit of money. I know he's self funding a lot of his campaign, is what I've heard. Right. So what I want to do is get into his. Um, his his campaign website and see what they're saying there as well because uh, that'll tell you know what he's really running on and what his main campaign issues are. So if you hop onto yang2020.com, uh, that's where you're gonna find his website and it's just a picture of, when you first open it up. I love doing it like this where I just kind of go through it with you guys while I'm while I'm going through it. I haven't even looked at his website. I'm just kind of recording as I'm looking at it. And it kind of lets me think out loud on what I'm thinking about this particular website. So you go to yang2020.com, you open it up, and it just shows a picture of him 
It looks like he's walking over a bridge. I'm not sure where. There's like a blurred out cathedral behind him with a golden rooftop. It might be New York City or something. I'm not sure. It looks like he's going over a bridge, though. Then it says, a new kind of American leader. Join Andrew Yang and let's fix this mess. Ooh, wow. It's a huge mess that we're living in. Um, A lot of people think that. A lot of Democrats specifically think that. And um, most Republicans that I talk to that love Donald Trump, they just think everything's great. And, uh, you know, the economy's booming. Everything's fantastic. And America is now great again. So... But then you talk to a lot of Democrats, and they're like, oh, yeah, this Donald Trump is just running us into the ground. Um, but anyway, just like every other site, it says it asks for your email and your zip code, and then it click, and then you click, and it says, I'm in. So um, I think that's what Hillary Clinton had, too. Are you in? I'm in. Um, so anyway, then there's also on the very bottom of the page, there's, there's a red stripe that goes across. It says, Andrew Yang is touring America, find an event. So he must be doing events all over. I've heard that he is doing quite a few events. I mean, he's uh, trying to run a grassroots campaign in a sense, right? Um, Andrew Yang, Democrat. Then you click on the go to the site, and it says, Join Andrew Yang, Democrat for President, Universal Basic Income. So that's what it says right on the front page, huh? Um, and obviously that's his thing is he's going for the universal basic income. It says, make, and then you scroll down a little further, make Andrew the story of the debates. Let's hit this, the debate stage with 200,000 individual donors. Um, and then it gives you the option to donate. And he has this little counting ticker going on. Right now, as I speak, as I record, he has 87, 000, a little over 87,000 uh, people that have individually donated to his campaign. And he's looking to get 200,000. And then if you scroll down a little further, you got your donate portion, which is you can donate 10, 20, 50, 500, 100. Um, and then... Then he starts getting into his policies. So the first policy that he pulls up is universal basic income. If you don't know what universal basic income is, it's kind of an idea that got its start way back in the 1970s, I think, 1960s, 1970s. Maybe Milton Friedman was a champion of the uh, universal basic income. And his idea was this. If you got rid of all welfare programs, everything all together... And just did a wealth transfer of a thousand dollars per month, or I don't know what it would have been at the time back then, but like six hundred dollars a month. But now Andrew Yang, his idea is a thousand dollars a month, so I'll just run with that number. The idea of the universal basic income back then was get rid of all welfare from the government, so it gets rid of all those bureaucracies, right? And then any wealth transfer that goes from an individual to another individual. Get rid of all of those welfare, food stamps, the whole nine yards, and give everybody a basic income, which in Andrew Yang's case is $1,000 a month or $12,000 a year. I wonder if it would be taxed or not. I would have to look further into his policy and see. And that's when I'll actually do an episode on the universal basic income and see what his specifics are on that. But I wonder if, okay, so uh, $12,000 a year, $1,000 a month, just a check that's sent to everybody. Uh, Rich, poor, whatever. Everyone gets $1,000 a month. And his idea says that that'll be at least a basic income. So if you lost your job, at least you got $1,000 a month coming in, no matter what. And that's your only wealth transfer from the government. Um, The critique of that, obviously, is that sometimes people say, well, yeah, right. (laughs) Are you really going to get rid of every welfare program? 
that's kind of the biggest critique that I ever have as well. So anyway, in brief, it says the Freedom Dividend. Oh, he's calling it the Freedom Dividend. That's what he's calling it. That's right. I forgot. So he's going to do the Freedom Dividend in brief. Andrew would implement a universal basic income, the freedom dividend of $1,000 a month, $12,000 a year for every American adult over the age of 18. This is independent of one's work status or any other factor. This would enable all Americans to pay their bills, educate themselves, start businesses, be more creative, stay healthy, relocate for work, spend time with their children, take care of loved ones, and have a real stake in the future. With 1000 bucks a month, you're going to have all that happen to you, huh? I can't imagine. So anyway, that's what he's saying. So I'm not going to critique it too much. I'm just letting you all know his policies right now. And then um, his next policy that he has is Medicare for all. Surprise, surprise. I think everybody in in the Democratic field has a Medicare for all plan, right? So you don't even need your um, universal basic income for Medicare or for health care if you had a Medicare for all, though. So he does bring that up. Anyway, going on. So in brief, access to quality health care is one of the most important factors in overall well-being. And yet America is one of the few industrialized nations not to provide health care for all its citizens. Instead, we have a private health care system that leaves millions uninsured and bankrupts even some of those who don't do have health insurance. At the same time, our cost of care is higher than anywhere else in the world. The Affordable Care Act was a step in the right direction, providing funds to states to innovate while expanding Medicaid substantially. However, it didn't address the fundamental issues plaguing our health care system. Access to medicine isn't guaranteed to all citizens. The incentives for health care providers don't align with providing quality, efficient care. Okay, so obviously he wants Medicare for all, as does everybody else. So he's not really differentiating himself there. But then again, that's an that's an area that I'm going to have to tackle a little bit more in depth down the road. I'm going to do lots and lots of research on this issue and uh, determine, you know, help you guys see just the challenges that go along with somebody declaring that they want to do Medicare for all. Uh, Because the reality of a system like that is it's a single payer system. So the doctors and everybody else are going to be beholden to the system of government paying them. And we all know that our federal government does not work very well. Um, And if you think it does, um, maybe I have some bridges to sell you that are, you know, maybe maybe the Brooklyn Bridge is under my ownership and I'll sell it to you because um, the federal government does not work well. We all know that. I mean, there's, I think the congressional approval rating is like less than 15% or something. So we all know that, you know, everything's political. So do you really want healthcare to be political? That's my biggest critique with Medicare for all. Uh, But I could get into more details on that. So okay, he says his next issue is human centered capitalism. I wonder what this means. Capitalism is an economic system as an economic system has led to unparalleled innovation and improvement in the human condition. Many consider it to have won the war of ideas against socialism, but that simplistic view ignores that there is no such thing as pure capitalism. And our current version of institutional capitalism and corporatism is a relatively recent development. Our current emphasis on corporate profits isn't working for the vast majority of Americans. This will only be made worse by the development of automation, technology, and AI. We need to move to a new form of capitalism, human capitalism, that's geared towards maximizing human well-being and fulfillment 
and the central tenets of human capitalism are humans are more important than money the unit of human capitalism economy in each person not each dollar markets exist to serve our common goals and values see he's convinced that automation and technology are going to destroy america and that's why he says that you need to have this peace or this freedom dividend thing um universal basic income but i I beg to differ that automation is going to make things, you know, robots are going to take over and make the world so much terrible and make put everyone out of work. I differ. I just don't believe that. And the reason why I say it is because this. Americans spend, or the cheaper you get your, let's, let's break it down. The cheaper you get your products. So if... One of the most expensive things about producing a product is the labor that goes into it, right? And if you were able to get rid of the labor cost completely out of, out of manufacturing, out of growing food, out of mostly everything, then you're going to have huge cost savings overall. And that's going to translate to lower costs to the individual. And you see that over time from the 1900s to now. You, the early 1900s to now, you see that the cost of uh, you know, the cost of everything generally comes down as a percentage of your, of your total amount of money that you have in your budget, right? And overall, the more you have automation, the wealthier you're going to be, in the sense that you're going to have better buying power. Uh, for example, like think about the TV that you bought you know, 10 years ago, uh, if you were trying to buy a 60-inch screen TV, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it would have been in the thousands of dollars, and now you could buy one for a couple hundred bucks down at Walmart, right? So, and that's because of because of better advancements in technology, easier ways to produce that product, and so forth. Um, so you're able to purchase products a lot cheaper. So if you're able to get labor completely out of the production process the cost of producing things is going to go way down so things will be practically free food clothing shelter the the basic needs that we have will be very easily provided at very low costs to the consumer and we see this over time that the better off people are, the more time they can spend doing stuff that they enjoy doing, right? So if you have more money, if you have more buy, more purchasing power, then you're going to be able to cover your grocery list a lot cheaper, and then you're going to be able to use that money towards other stuff. And you can see it in our society today that people travel more than ever now. You drive around and you have trampoline parks everywhere. You have bounce house parks everywhere. I mean, I see around a lot of these cities now, they have these huge golf complexes um, where it's just not putt-putt golf, but it's driving ranges, and they're just these huge, enormous things. And some cities will have two or three of them now. You'll I see these sky dot like th- things that you'd only see at Disney World a long time ago. You have these things that are just enter pure entertainment, right? Things that are just there to entertain. Entertainment is such a huge part of our society nowadays, but you cannot have a society like that 
back in the 1800s or pre-industrial age. You would never have a society that's based upon that because in the pre-industrial age, it's go to your farm, produce food, and hopefully have about 10 kids to help you produce that food or else you're going to starve to death. You get into the industrial era and you have people that are laboring on these in these heavy machine factories and so forth. And then you get through that and now you're having more automation going on. But you're able to produce things so cheaply that clothes nowadays, your clothing is practically disposable. You could, if, if you wanted to, you could probably go out and buy a new outfit every single day and never wear the same outfit twice. That's how wealthy we are in America today. And it's only going to spread across the world like that. And people are going to be spending more and more of their time on other activities besides work. We're down to a 40-hour work week, but I think the average person works 36 hours. So all that's going to do, all that automation is going to do is make things get cheaper and cheaper. The basic necessities that we have are going to get cheaper and cheaper. And we're going to have more and more time to spend doing the things that we enjoy doing and what does that happen when you have somebody that went or you are able to do more and more of the stuff that you enjoy people are gonna have to cater to that you're gonna be going to a hotel there's gonna be people at the hotel when you're staying there to go to the beach there's gonna be surfboard people that are trying to rent surf surfboards to you you're gonna be listening to podcasters on the way down to the beach um, and those people are getting paid. You know, there's so many opportunities out there for you to entertain other people. And people are willing to pay for that a lot. So I don't see this AI thing going in a negative direction. And you can only imagine that there's going to be jobs that spring up because of that as well. Think about the fact that before there was Excel spreadsheets, there was people that literally had to tally st- tally numbers you know, over and over again to try to do these accounting records and these um, profit and loss statements for these businesses. And it would cost, it would take hours and hours and hours of tedious calculations in order to put together what a spreadsheet can do in 10 minutes, in five minutes, and just clicking one number and putting it in there and it changes the entire spreadsheet. And you couldn't do that back in the 1960s before there were spreadsheets. So, You would have literally one or two people hired by a giant corporation to analyze numbers. And nowadays, there's thousands upon thousands of people that are working in the accounting industry doing this stuff with spreadsheets. And that automation of the the automation of just having a spreadsheet, that ability has caused everybody want to analyze everything now and it just makes it so that everyone ha- you know all these companies are hiring people left and right for new jobs that just deal with data analyzing data analysis and back way back when it would take somebody 9 10 12 hours to do one spreadsheet and nowadays it's you know takes one person five minutes, and he moves on to the next spreadsheet and the next spreadsheet. And let's analyze this and let's analyze that. So imagine with AI, something similar can happen with that as well. It's going to allow one person to be way more productive than he was before. So I'm not scared of AI. And Andrew Yang, I, I wonder why he's so scared of this the AI. I mean, if you watch YouTube nowadays, there's people that are just, just 
making money doing the stupidest things as traveling around. I'm going to videotape myself going around the world on a bus. And people are making money doing that. You would have never made money doing that 20 years ago. There would have been no way for that to happen 20 years ago. But people are doing it today. You have you. My son watches videos all day long about people videotaping themselves playing video games. So he's watching videos of people playing video games. And these people that are playing video games are getting paid for it through through their YouTube channel somehow. Through the sl- small advertisements that are on there. You would have never done that 20 years ago. My son's starting a YouTube channel. My daughter has a YouTube channel. These kids nowadays, they're they're trying to figure out how to get a following of people and somehow that's a way to make money for them right i mean you could get somebody to like you could you could start up a gofundme so you go travel around america for the you know or go to europe and backpack around europe hitchhike around europe you could get a gofundme page to get that going you could get a youtube channel that's gonna just show you going around europe you could never do that 20 years ago but you can do that today so I just don't see where he gets this, but um, it's the fear. He's playing on the fear that people have, and he's hoping that that's going to propel him into the presidency, but it's also he thinks that, you know, he wants to play on that fear and get people to get scared that somehow some robot's going to take over their job when the reality is is that it's only going to make your lives better. And... I mean, if, if you if you want to dispute that with me, go ahead. I just don't see see that as a, a huge issue, but he does. And that's why he talks about this human-centered capitalism idea. And that's it. So if you get into all of his ideas that he has on his yang2020.com page, universal basic income, Medicare for all, and human-centered capitalism. And that's it. That's all I see. I guess he was on Joe Rogan the other day as well. So uh, this was... So if you want to watch that, you can on this thing. He's also on the Freakonomics podcast. And I did listen to the one on the Freakonomics podcast as well. The guy is well-spoken. I mean, he definitely um, he definitely is educated. He knows his stuff. He was educated at Columbia University Law School. So he's definitely a very, very bright guy, I'm sure. Um, I think that being a Democrat, I mean, he believes in the state, the state's ability to provide things for people. And he believes somehow that it's not that's going to be done in a more efficient way than if it's done by private individuals and like he 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 fully believes that medicare for all is a better system to bring health care to people by having that single payer system he believes that is the best way rather than having private insurance do it um so he definitely he 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 has confidence in the state he has confidence in the government he has confidence, obviously, in his politicians. And if Donald Trump is one thing, it's somebody that Democrats are definitely not confident in. And they really want to turn all this over to the, a system that can elect a leader like Donald Trump. And then the Republicans believe in Donald Trump. So they say, oh, yeah, that's great. But then if you say, well, what if it was all turned over to Hillary Clinton? They say, oh, yeah, maybe, maybe I would rethink it then. So... I just don't see where these politicians have such confidence in the government 
that they're going to be better paying out a thousand dollars per person and whatever. I guess the one thing the government is good at is is taking a check and taking it from one person and giving it to another, and uh, taking a whole lot of money in between. So let's say they they're trying to give out a thousand dollars per person, uh, and it they have to basically tax fifteen hundred dollars per person in order to give back a thousand dollars per person because there's a bureaucracy right in the middle that's going to take a huge chunk of that as well uh but these politicians they just have so much confidence in the government and andrew yang is definitely one of them uh but i anyway moving on so i definitely wanted to bring you that episode about andrew yang and that's why i went ahead and put this thing together today for you i'm going to jump into ubi universal basic income i'm going to jump into his freedom dividend uh on tomorrow's show and let you guys know exactly what i think about that um, I'm doing all as much research as I can right now on that particular issue so that you guys get a general idea of what people say is good about it, what people say is bad about it, and then my opinion on this issue as well. And, uh, you know, keep, keep your ears tuned in tomorrow for that. But in the meantime, keep on coming back to the show and you can do that by subscribing. And if you come back tomorrow, you'll have clear vision for 2020.